Hi, everyone. Welcome back to District of Cinema. Uh, it's me, Tristan, joined with Spencer, Kaz, and Isabella. We're, it's The trio has, has developed into a quadro, quadruple. What's a group of four called? Quartet. A quartet. There you go. Awesome. Um, this week, we're going to talk about specifically uh, new release uh, Candyman, which comes out the day we're recording this, actually, uh, for August 27th. Cool. Yeah, um, I got to go to a screening of Candyman on Tuesday, the 25th. Um, it was really cool. It was like a packed theater. They almost like didn't let me in because there were so many people lined up waiting to see it. I guess they had some kind of advanced screening. But basically, Candyman is a horror film about a guy who kills people when you say his name in the mirror five times. You say Candyman, 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 Candyman. But you have whoa, to whoa, whoa, whoa. You straight up just said it on the show? I said it, but I had my internet browser open while I was doing it. So I wasn't looking at myself. So it wasn't the reflection. Oh, okay. I've been very so you, careful. Okay. So you got to look at the mirror while you do it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, the whole thing is like, he kills you in the reflection, but like you still die, which was a really <laughs> interesting way of doing things. Um, I don't know. This isn't the first Candyman. This is like kind of a sequel, but also kind of a remake. The like lore of Candyman is included in the lore of the Candyman in the new Candyman uses the old Candyman to explain it like so it's a lot of the same characters and like people it was based off of in the first one but yeah basically this guy Anthony and his girlfriend live in this like swanky new apartment building and it is like part of the gentrification of this old housing project in Chicago uh, it's called Cabrini Green and um, Anthony is an artist, but he's like, hasn't done any new work in a very long time and um, is looking for inspiration. And when he hears about the tale of Candyman, he gets really obsessed with it and then uses it as an art project, basically documenting the gentrification of Cabrini Green and kind of Candyman as a metaphor for like I said, gentrification and the exploitation of Black people. And so he makes an uh, this art exhibit about it to like an all white audience, basically. Like it uses like themes of like very much like elitist, like the white art world. And they don't really get it. It's not received well. From there, the white patrons kind of start to say Candyman it, like several different times in several different places. and ensues basically yeah now did you watch the original Candyman before you saw it I had seen it like a long time ago it's kind of like a culty pretty classic horror film I don't think it's necessary to see the first one before in fact there's a kind of a twist that if you if you've seen the first one it's never a twist but if you haven't then um, you, you get to kind of enjoy that experience the thing about the first one is what made it great was the guy who played Candyman. He was like a really great Candyman and he was kind of um, very like suave <laughs> and very um, just like enticing in a way that none of the candy or the Candyman doesn't really appear to be in the same one. Um, and that's because in the original, the main character was this white woman who went to go kind of exploit 
Cabrini Green and The Legend of Candy Man and kind of use it as a way to talk about how their community kind of reacted to uh, police violence and racism by creating this myth. And so because it's a, a white woman, there's a kind of like almost like sexual dynamic between her and the candy man. That's not the case in this film. Um, yes. yeah. <laughs> but there is definitely some like strange elements which make it really fun mm-hmm. and scary. I, I saw that um, I think Jordan Peele is very involved with this film and it may feel almost like a Peele film. It does feel like a Peele film. And this is me like admitting that I didn't do my like journalistic due diligence before seeing the movie. Um, I thought it was directed by Jordan Peele until the opening credits when it said like directed by Mia DaCosta. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Oh, I'm in the wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh. But it was produced by him and it was co-written by him. him and Nia DaCosta wrote the film. You know, I feel like any kind of movie that, or horror film that tackles race and uses like racism as an element of the horror itself is gonna have obvious like ties to Get Out because it was such a, I feel like cornerstone of kind of this new genre of horror. Yeah, there was, um, it, it was also, kind of uh, a lot like Jordan Peele's work because of how like aesthetically pleasing it was. I feel like Get Out and Us were both very like stylish horror movies, not the kind of like low budget, you know, things that we're used to or even like kind of like insidious or like paranormal, like it wasn't anything like that, so. Right, that's cool. I think the genre specifically of like, of black horror right now is really interesting and something that a lot of filmmakers are trying to tap into but i don't think it's always like successful i heard like uh that film antebellum with janelle mm. monet was really bad i didn't see it but i heard it was very bad uh it looked cool though so i think it's interesting that the medium is sort of it's new and is growing and uh and yeah and, the, and there are good additions and not so good additions you know um yeah I, and that, that was with kind of my, something I, I had wished had been um, a little bit different in Candyman. We're kind of thrown all of these different like aspects of racism, like the white liberal like art world and the gentrification and then police violence. And so it, it kind of like, there's not, that's all like what we use in the scope to understand Candyman and why he kills and why Candyman exists which kind of like made it a bit confusing and a little bit like it wasn't specific enough to make the kind of uh, culmination of the film feel satisfying if that makes sense like I wish there had been kind of a more uh, specific target or specific even just you know following one line like um, something that happens or a recurring theme in the movies like generational trauma and you know, how that kind of shapes people. So if she had just focused on the generational trauma and used that lens of racism, I feel like it would have been more well-served than just using kind of all aspects of racism. Right, because it's a lot. It's, I mean, it's a system, right? Yeah, it's really complex too. So it's like you're dealing with all of these like complicated things and then trying to make sense of that and work it into the backstory of several characters. So you felt it was a bit too muddled. 
yeah it was a, yeah. a little bit too muddled but um mm-hmm. but i mean overall did you enjoy like the film yeah i i thought it was a good movie it was a like in a fine horror i wish it was a little bit scarier just because once you kind of get the shtick it's the same thing there's not a lot of jump scares so i wish it was a little bit scarier but um it was like a good a good film and i left the theater like satisfied with it even if i wish it was a it was only like after kind of like really thinking about it that I started to be like, well, there's actually some holes here and it's, I actually wish this had happened. Um, but so it was like a fun experience, I'd say. Right. Very cool. Well, I personally, I, I'm going to go watch this movie because it sounds fun and I'm not a big horror person. So I think it, it's enough for me. But yeah, let's uh, let's move into our, our spicy topic today. We got a, got a real, real good one. So who wants to introduce it? I think cause I think cause you chose it. So why don't you introduce it? Yeah. Okay. Today we're going to be talking about movies from you know whenever year with the best and worst CGI. This is a pretty broad topic, so I'm not sure what direction we're going with well, this yet. Why don't we but... Why don't we start with the best? Like let's let's talk about right. films that you think have like amazing CGI for their time or whatever. Because I mean you're not going to compare a 1980s film to it today film so yeah yeah so let's let's start with that I, I feel like best cgi is a lot harder than worst cgi because worst cgi like that stands out best it's like really it's like doing its job so it's it's hard to like it's just so yeah it's a lot harder i feel like to like think of something straight off the top of your head that, that's really interesting because i think worst cgi is harder i know well i guess good cgi Okay, CGI can be anything, right? It doesn't have to be like a yeah, it can be it's an like animated movie too. Yeah, I mean, like it, yeah. CGI just stands for computer generated imagery. So okay, anything in like post production that they put in, you know. So okay, I I think I have an answer. Um, Paddington. I love. Well, okay, so I think it's really good CGI in that I can believe that the bear was really there. Not necessarily that the bear looked super realistic, but that he existed in this universe and like, I liked the bear. <laughs> I right. liked and he like him. interacts with the world normally and like, right? Yeah, yeah. he doesn't feel like green screened in or something like that. Like it feels, it all feels very authentic. Yeah, I, I'd say that. Um, and like, yeah, there's just so, so much interaction with real life characters and even background well, he's like the elements. main character right he is the main so. character <laughs> um yeah i i think paddington is is a good one definitely there i have one um i don't know if you guys have seen blade runner 2049 but i think it's it's one of the best uses of like cgi i think in recently because it sort of serves to tell the story better i think that's what really makes cgi a useful asset in today's like filmmaking is that not only is it can it like expand something and make it look seamless and you don't notice it like that's the best cgi when you don't notice anything is going on um and it can also further the story and further themes and stuff like that one it's the the scene i specifically thinking of is when the dude, uh, I don't even remember his name, Ryan Gosling is like, 
he he's in love with his like AI, which is Anna de Armas. And she like projects herself as like a hologram over this like physical body of like another woman. And they like make out and like that's like they're like phasing in between each other. And that's cool. Like I, it's something I haven't seen. And so that I think that is a like really interesting new way of using CGI. But yeah, I mean, other than that, like I think using CGI to like expand on a world, just making backgrounds and backdrops and like sets is what probably the most frequent use of it now. And because you never tell, I think it's it's great. <laughs> I mean, going off of what you said, because what you were saying made me think of this, but like so in in I, Tanya, they had to have a lot of skaters come in and do things that Marco Ravi uh, could not do for lack of training for 20 years. And some of the jumps that they had to, there's like good videos on YouTube about it, but some of the jumps they had to have Tanya Duke, particularly with triple Axel, we at the time did not have anyone that could do it in America, except for one uh, woman who was training for an international event and, you know, could not be, could not come do it. Um, and so then being able to edit someone else doing a different jump into that. And then something that they also did was the make and model of the boots that uh, the girl who they were recording was wearing didn't exist in, in the eighties or, or whatever. Um, so they were able to like change the boots to the ones that would have existed at that time, which to me was such a nuanced detail because, you know, no one now is like watching it, like, let me look at her ice skates. And it's such a small thing. But for people like me who are watching that, I'm like, that makes so much sense because she wouldn't have had those skates. Those didn't exist then. And so that was something that I know probably took so much time to go in and every shot change her boots out. But it was to me, I was like, that's so cool that they did that. And so I think something like that, again, with world building is just like, obviously it makes the whole thing more accurate but it's such a small detail that you you know wouldn't think anyone would notice so right i saw another video of the spinning tanya head margot robbie's like cgi head um <laughs> and that's that's pretty silly um but yeah um does anyone else have anything for for best cgi well speaking of world building i just remembered how insane inception is and mm. that cgi where the like world is like literally folding in on itself and kind of oh, yeah. exploding and that was crazy yeah it that must have taken so long i know christopher nolan likes to like keep things as like as natural as possible and do as much like real life things as he can um but it must have been so crazy to design to design a world that was like literally falling apart like into itself and then also have actors like do you watch yeah. Elliot Page and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio kind of walk through the world as it's changing so that must have been yeah. really like intense and needed a lot of like attention that, to that definitely blew me away when I first saw it um and it's and it's like 11 years old now that movie and it still really holds up another one that from like the same era, I get. I think it's the year before is Avatar, and I when I saw that in theaters, like the world build this, the world and everything that he that you create with CGI and everything, it doesn't always look like super real, but it looks realistic enough that you're like immersed into the the space, and you it, and I think that's really cool. Um, but those are all some great movies. Uh, you should probably watch them if you haven't. 
but let's move on to the worst. We want to start with cats. It's not a good idea. So how many people have seen cats here? Because I haven't seen it yet. And I want to. I haven't seen it. Okay, no. <laughs> Just we all have to so <laughs> I mean, I saw enough from the trailer, okay? So <laughs> It was, it was, it was, it was something. I saw it before they, again, they changed the CGI apparently uh, after the first week or so of it being in theaters because they kind of got really destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, Trash. Um, Yeah. I remember I'm, I'm, I I mentioned this, I'm probably going to mention this every episode, but I'm just a consumer of movies. I go and I sit there, I'm like, wow, very nice. But there was one scene where the lead cat dancer girl was like doing this whole ballet pretty routine. And it looked like she was just like floating, like on the ground. Like there was absolutely no, like, no way you could miss it and it was just I was there with like two of my friends and we were like how did this get fast production at this point but that's like the I think one of the biggest things I noticed in that movie was it was just there were obvious gaps where it was just like there had not been the 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 bridge built there right well, I think that's the thing with like CGI. Like, it, there's it's like this thing, this term, uh, the uncanny valley, right? Where it's like, if you, once you notice that something is off, your whole perception of reality is just ruined. Like, you you know this is fake or like just conceived, <laughs> and then you're like, well, this is stupid. <laughs> um, it's like that with. Uh, a lot of people are trying to do like CGI fake faces now, um, especially for like some actors who have like passed away, which is I think really weird and like unethical. Making people that old becomes and an young. ethical Yeah, yeah, or like yeah, like the de- the de aging, the aging, and that actually works sometimes I think, um, but other times it just looks really weird. Um, yeah, I will say watching the Irishman was definitely it was hard not to focus on the de aging process because right. I don't know. It's just not realistic. But I think the most egregious like CGI face I've ever seen is in the Mummy Returns of uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson playing the Scorpion King. He looks straight up melted, like he looks like a Crayola that was left in the sun by a child. Um, and I think that the fact that it comes in like what's supposed to be the most tense climactic scene of the movie really just they just bludgeon the movie it's over at that point that that one's pretty funny that <laughs> i would agree that one's pretty funny i i've only seen like clips of this but um the cgi baby from twilight i don't know i forgot what the name of that baby is it's very weird Renesme? yeah uh, Rene- yeah, yeah Renesme. <laughs> put some respect on Renesme's name <laughs> i i don't know if that's a name um but like it's um the whole thing is it's it's a mashup of her the two moms names so edward's mom and bella's mom renee and esme renesme um whose name is esme that baby i have a lot of thoughts about that baby not only is she like a little like mechanical doll kind of looking thing but also she ages really quickly too so it's like you watch her go from like three to seven to like ten really quickly yeah it's weird um it's yeah so it's and at no point was it not like a little demon like it always looked really <laughs> it bad. looks like a demon spawn <laughs> like baby from hell <laughs> 
I also have uh, another one, and it is uh, Star Wars Episode Two, or any of the prequels, really. And I don't know how many people have seen those movies, but they're pretty bad. Um, and actually, some of the CGI is pretty good, but then you have like characters like Jar Jar Binks, which is honestly for the time it's not bad, but it's just it takes you out of the film so hard that like you just can't focus anymore and that's and that's what really makes cgi like i think a really important tool i think today it's like you you can't really mess it up otherwise people are going to (laughs) notice i don't know about like a lot of marvel movies either but i know with black widow they got a lot for the end of that movie because I guess the the CGI in like the most climactic scene of the movie, I mean, I don't guess, I saw the movie, um, the CGI in the uh, cl- most climactic scene in the movie um, was like not probably up to the standards that you would expect from Marvel. Um, it looked very fake, you know, you have Florence Pugh's character like falling or whatever, and it looks, you know. Yeah, aren't they like falling through the sky with like explosions around them and they're like they know they've somehow they can guide where they fall yeah it looked like someone filmed it on like a flip camera like for a middle school project (laughs) they were like don't let go you know it was very it was definitely it took because the whole movie was like pretty well done until that point you're like I'm sorry what like it was just so such a diversion from I think what you'd seen the rest of the movie um, and obviously Marvel is such a big uh, you know company it's it's hard to expect that kind of like leaving the world during anything <laughs> right. they produce right. um, so I know that was definitely like I know they got a lot of attention on social media for that so that was probably <laughs> <laughs> well that's like the thing about marvel movies i feel like you see like behind the scenes and it's just like all green screen like so much of it is done in post-production but i don't know i feel like it's unnecessary so when they start to like slip up it's like well well i mean the end game like ending scene is i think really well done that's like the I think that on a scale of CGI, like epic battles was really never like this Endgame really pushed it because I think a lot of a lot of movies like to dump all their budgets in like the ending CGI bloodbath fest. They <laughs> um, like what, like The Hobbit and even Lord of the Rings. And, and they, I guess the Harry Potter movies where they're shooting like lasers out of their wands <laughs> too. That's a really interesting take on what happens in Harry Potter. <laughs> I haven't all seen, ladies, guys. <laughs> I haven't seen them, but like at the I I just know that at that point they're just like shooting green laser at each other or whatever. Um, yeah, it's funny to watch the behind the scenes from those because it's just them jumping up and down like <laughs> and like flicking their wands. Yeah. <laughs> they also have some pretty funky CGI in some of the early movies. I feel like especially in uh, the Goblet of Fire, where like like harry turning into like a mer person for a bit oh yeah um, that's true that was oh and the like the the creatures that they fly on like that had to be cgi oh yeah like, what's hippogriffs don't like actually exist in, in real life um <laughs> they probably had them on one of those like rocking things and then recorded it like that <laughs> like, yeah. like, like a mechanical bull just... yeah <laughs> probably yeah i think that's so, how they do it i'm not sure 
Or they just, just yeah, we, we should get an expert in here, clearly. Um, we're not CGI artists yet. Maybe, maybe we'll maybe we'll start CGIing. Um, after after this podcast, we're gonna start getting calls, people asking us to consult on on things because oh, we yeah. know so much about CGI. Visual effects consultant. I don't know if you've guys seen in the movie uh, Birdemic. Um, that that movie has like some of the it's like a very it's like a very very b movie uh from i think the early 2000s and the the whole plot is that there are birds attacking like oh, los angeles spencer have you seen it have you seen birdemic i have seen clips of it yes it looks like when you go to uh like a movie theater and you're playing this game where you shoot the animals and the games from like the 90s and the guns are all neon orange like that's what the villainous birds look like right and they're all in like they're yeah they're all like in one perspective right like (laughs) they're all just like clip-arted onto the screen of people screaming yeah that that is the pinnacle of cgi right there that one's really fun that kind of reminds me of the I do think the CGI in Sharknado is a step up from Birdemic, but it does hearken to that kind of uh, animal natural disaster genre that just, they never seem to be able to make a good movie out of that. I'm really pulling for that genre. That may just be the best genre to exist. Yeah, I think there's potential. Well, after after Jaws, you know, they, they hit home runs, right, with this genre. Definitely. <laughs> I have still yet to see Sharknado, but I have heard of uh, this one. It's another animal, like does that? It's called Anaconda, and I think there's a rapper in it. I forgot who. It may be is Ice that different. Is that different from Snakes on a Plane? That is different from Snakes on a Plane. I yeah. have seen Snakes on a Plane. Those are actually awful snakes. Like, it's incredible. This is not like the beginning of CGI. This is like 2006. It's terrible. They don't use like real snakes? No, it's it's completely awful. They can't even, there's not, I don't think there was one single shot of a real snake in that whole movie. <laughs> That's they didn't funny. have money for one snake, but they had money for like really terrible. For CGI. Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> True. I think it's it's funny when like you see the behind the scenes of all these movies and like how they pull off a lot of these like animal characters or like other CGI characters. Like I I saw this one behind the scenes for uh it's it's this dog movie with Harrison Ford. It's a Disney movie, and I think the dog is called Buck or something. It's called Call of the Is it called Call of the Wild? I don't know. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw the behind the scenes and the dog is played by a human on like all fours, like running around. (laughs) And like Harrison Ford has to act with this like human man running around all fours and like petting his head. And oh my God, it's so funny. (laughs) Um, Not to bring up Twilight again. Oh, I know you're going to say. Yeah. you can see Belle like petting um, 
Taylor Lautner, who's in a kind of green morph suit and uh, just looking very ashamed of himself. Right. Um, like, I don't so even amazing. know why. I don't even know why he is, needs to be there. Like, he doesn't really need just to be there. for the integrity of the film, you know. Right. <laughs> keep yeah. It, keep it, keep it I think just to help uh, Kristen Stewart visualize. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I recently, over the summer, saw the great movie um, Tom and Jerry. I almost called it Ben and Jerry. The Tom and Jerry, you know, with Colin Jost, um, as one does. And um, the I felt bad for, I think, Chloe Grace Moretz was the one in that. Um, and so much of the movie was with Tom or Jerry, which meant that she was probably just filming these scenes screaming like at, you know, nothing. And that was her whole filming process, which I felt pretty bad for her for that. But, you know, it's Tom and Jerry. What else right. are you do? That's like I I I bet I'm not an actor, but like I can imagine just like acting, trying to act with like invisible things, where the director is gonna say, "Oh no, we'll just throw it in post." It it must be so hard <laughs> because you're like you have no idea what you're doing, right? And then they they just have to like make it work with the shot that you take. <laughs> yeah, just like telling you to look somewhere, and you hope you're like looking at at the right thing that doesn't right, the exist eye yet. Yeah, yeah I think that's like a lot of room for error. A lot of I think a lot of movies have an issue with like the actors like looking at one place and the CGI thing is just not what they're looking at. <laughs> oh, you know what movie was probably hard in that respect? Isn't Who Framed Robert Roger Rabbit? If I can say that, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Like also half animation, half. Yeah, I feel like anything that's that much overlap in between the two different things must be so difficult Mm -hmm. to like get correct because you're constantly battling between the characters who are not real. Right. That that just (laughs) that just unlocks a memory for me about the Looney Tunes movie. Um, that I I think it's from the early two thousands or something, and it also has Brendan Fraser. Gabe's getting stuck in these horrible CGI movies. But this one's actually pretty good because they like run around in a museum and they like jump into the art and everything. And that that's like really cool. Um, but I can't imagine like the amount of like coordination. Or like in, in Space Jam when you don't even have like an actual actor acting with them. You have like oh, Michael right. Jordan. <laughs> right. And like, like Michael Jordan's like... like standing there by himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like speaking at cartoons that are not there yet. But I, I don't know. I feel like Looney Tunes gets a pass with CGI because it's the Looney Tunes. And the animation is always really well done. So yeah. to be fair, yeah. Well, I think that's enough CGI talk. Now I think now we're all CGI experts, experts in the field of visual effects. <laughs> so that was this week's episode. Uh, hope you guys had fun listening along um, about visual effects very important and it was also really fun having Sabella on to talk about Candyman that was really cool yeah, I was happy to be here yeah it, and honestly Candyman looks really interesting and I, I'm gonna go see it like probably this weekend so yeah shout out to that shout out to all the films that we uh, referenced today good and bad well that was our episode thank you for listening and we will catch you next week <laughs>